0: Amen. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Awesome. We are busy with our out in the open series. And um, as we've been doing over the past four weeks, we're going through the definition of what is the gospel. Again, we've got what is the gospel cards up front here. If you want more, you can take more. If you want to share it with people, Uh, you've given yours away and you want to put yours up in the car or wherever again, please come and get it. But every week we've been standing around one of these statements. And the great thing is that it hasn't been one of the pastors or myself sharing. It's amongst us that we give opportunity to all of us to share this gospel and to know that it's possible for all of us to explain the gospel. So let's read it together and then Joni is gonna share uh, the next statement with us. So let's all read this. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the son of God and offers the free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. This morning, we're gonna stand with the statement that three d- days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the son of God. So let's listen up as Joni says this from her perspective.
1: Thank you, Pierre. Morning, family. Um, I'm going to start reading from John 20, verse 15 to 18. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, I feel like crying here. He said to her, Mary, Mary, She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God what a powerful and significant moment in history for Mary and for all of us as believers. This was his first appearance after his resurrection, the resurrected Savior. And as Mary stood there, weeping, distraught, outside of the grave, Jesus appeared to her. And at first she did not recognize him but the moment he spoke her name, she recognized him. Mary rescued, Mary delivered. Mary, a faithful follower of Christ Jesus, right to the end. And I can just imagine the moment she heard her name, the memories that flooded her. And interestingly, in this space, At that moment where she actually wanted to hang and hold on to him, Jesus said, no, don't hold on to me. Go, Mary, instead and tell my brothers and sisters. And for the next, even there, I think about Peter and John, who also, when she hurried to them, telling the news, breaking news, Jesus is alive Um, I don't know how her legs even could carry her to that moment of destination. What it looked like when she said, brothers, sisters, guys, girls, I've got news for you. Jesus is alive. And yes, then um, Peter and John hurried back the same thing. Only to find the stone rolled away and an empty tomb, death couldn't hold him. Neither can death hold you and me who are in Christ Jesus. And what I find so interesting and so significant was the linen strips lying there. For me, just such a symbol that where Jesus went to the Father in heaven, death couldn't come along, could not enter. So, year of scripture, historical records prove that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate, historical records prove that there was an empty tomb and that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus' resurrection family is the bedrock of our Christian faith. All these things, Jesus, the prophets prophesied it, Jesus predicted it. And what happens is Jesus proves to be true. These records prove that Jesus' words are true. He is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the resurrected Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are. Are still in your sins. Jesus Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. We were buried with him and we were raised with him in newness of life. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28:18, he just made a declaration saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. To him. Therefore go. The same as what he said to Mary. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations. And friends, family, today, Jesus is still saying to us, go and tell. Go and tell the good news of a risen Christ. Jesus, our Savior, has risen. And I just feel to encourage all of us today. You know, sometimes it's really daunting you feel you have to bring the gospel. How do you do it? And sometimes you feel you have to convince yourself and you have to convince the other person. But you know, as, as Paul, as Peter, as Mary, as, of all of the first apostles, we stand in front of another knowing that our lives like them have been completely transformed in Jesus. That we stand as a new creation a living testimony to the resurrection of Christ Jesus amen Thank you.
0: I love hearing everyone being able to share this and I really want to encourage you to not leave that moment here but take it home sit with this gospel card with as a family and speak through these things and And come up with your own language to share this great good news story with your world. And and we're excited. On the 30th of October, we're going to have scatter Sunday where we're not gathering in this room. We're going to have gatherings out in the public on that Sunday morning. More details will follow. Where We as a church are going to take the time that we would have come together here to be out there and share this message with people. So continue to engage us, continue to read 1 Peter, which is the story of what we look like if we live the gospel message out there in the world. And in order to take us further this morning, it is my joy to introduce our guest speaker today, uh, Carlos Antonio, a dear friend of mine. Um, Carlos and I met in 2015 in Nashville. It was an interesting story. We were there for a conference meeting and I walked into the Every Nation offices and I needed to wait somewhere to meet with someone and just opposite me Carlos is sitting there waiting needing to meet someone and he's out there to try and find a place to live because him and his whole family is moving to Nashville and we kind of greeted one another and had a little bit of a conversation but did not know the friendship and the partnership that God was lining up a year later um, I had the joy of being under Carlos's leadership in facilitating the Every Nation World Conference 2016. Some of you might have been there at the the Grand West Stadium. Anyone was there in this room? That's great. You guys remember how awesome that was? And um, a beautiful friendship was forged. Carlos is one of those people that I deeply uh, feel safe with. I can share my deepest parts of my own soul with him, and and he's a true friend through all of that. Um, But not only that, he is a faithful family man, and he'll tell you about his family in a moment, Um, He's a prolific thinker, an incredible leader, um, and he leads every nation global communications. So he has the joy of hearing the stories of what God is doing in the nations uh, day in and day out. And maybe some of that will come through in the message this morning. But Carlos is here this week because once again, next year, the World Conference will be in Cape Town at the CTICC. We get to host that. And uh, we as a church are involved with that, so Carlos and I and Al and Jock and Melindy and a few others have had conference meetings this week, and I thought, you know what, what an opportunity to have this man of faith and faithfulness and friendship come and share with us this morning. He will share in a way that you will feel like he's your friend. So open your heart to a friend this morning, not just a preacher, but to a friend. Carlos, come and join me. Um, it's great to have you you. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Lord, we pray for this man this morning. We pray for the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name that you would give him the liberty to speak as your spirit leads him. Thank you, Lord, for his preparation in the word. And may your word come and change us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Peter. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, As he mentioned, my name is Carlos, and I've been here all week. It's been a wonderful week, and I am here, as he mentioned, to help prepare and plan for our Go Conference, which is happening again here in Cape Town. And if you have your phones or your diaries or whatever you use to save the dates, could I ask you to just take a moment and actually save this date, okay, October 5 to 7 next year. Okay, we will have our Go Conference. This is the Global Family Reunion. We have churches in over, four, uh, in over 80 nations, around 450 churches, not counting 80-plus church plants, not counting 40 other outreaches, but we have churches that every nation, Hildeberg is a part of in over 80 nations. And every three years, we gather together in one big global family reunion. It is a sight to see. Okay, it is something I'm always privileged to be able to be a part of, and in this particular conference, I got the chance to lead. Um, I said yes to it mainly because it gives me the excuse to come and visit here and have some proper bra. And, and so I, I was like, I jumped at the chance, the work itself, ah, okay, but I got to come and enjoy the food, and it's been a wonderful week. Okay, so thank you so much for having me, and I am just so privileged to be able to bring the word today. Okay, just as he as he mentioned, you're we're going through a series called Out in the Open, and it's been uh, fascinating. I hope it's been as interesting for you as it's been for me to just review First Peter again. So if you have your Bibles, please do turn with me to First Peter chapter two. That's where we're gonna be today. First Peter chapter two. While you're turning there, um uh, as Pierre mentioned, um let me just take a quick moment to show you my family. Okay, so um I'm married um to my college crush, um, Belle, Uh, and her name's Belle, like, you know, the movie, The Beauty and the Beast. Um, And so yes, true to fashion, she is the beauty and I am the beast. And I have um, four daughters, um, so, I live in a sorority house, and <laughs> oh, but it's been wonderful. By the grace of God, they all take after their mother, so that's been great. Okay, but um, this photo was taken over the summer. Uh, we had a chance. Um, as you mentioned, I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee, right now. Originally from the Philippines, so i have been living in Nashville um, six years now, and this is taken in Chicago. Okay, uh, there's the historic Chicago. Bean monument there at the back, as you could see. Um, the reason we were there, uh, we were there because we had to go to Chicago, we had to drive over eight hours, and we had to go there because we had to renew our passports, because we're not citizens, we're not U.S. citizens, and so every, every so often we have to do some random thing like this, uh, so we all had to take this drive so each one of my kids could get their passports renewed, right? So, I mean, we took the chance, that was the nearest place for us to get our passports upgraded, updated. And so it was, we might as well made, it, made a trip out of it, made a, made a holiday out of it. But you know what, these are the kind of things we did. You know why? Because we're not citizens. You know, the, the terminology for us is we, we are resident aliens. If you've never met an alien before, here I am. All right, so, but that's an interesting thing. And I think it's an interesting thing to think of as we go into our passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, um, one of the things I'm learning here this whole week, I've been enjoying just the fish and chips, um, Nashville's landlocked, so we don't have proper seafood, we don't have proper, it's, you know, you typically don't even see the head of a fish when you buy fish in the, in the supermarkets, they're all filleted and all, all frozen, so I've been eating mostly seafood this whole trip, it's been wonderful, okay, but, you know, I've been dusting off some of my, um, just just the terminologies here, so I've I've been using the word lecker whenever I can. I'm trying to listen to conversation and wait for the right time to say, sure. You know, and so I'm practicing, I'm practicing. I'm trying to be a local as much as I can. <laughs> All right, but anyway, First Peter chapter 2. And it's something to think about as we think of being a local and being a foreigner, or in my case, being a resident alien. Okay, First Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 11. I'm going to warn you now. This is going to be a controversial passage, okay? So you have to have your own Bible because I'm not making this up. Look at it yourself, all right? So 1 Peter chapter 2, um, I'm going to begin in verse 11 and we're going to read up to verse 17. First chapter 2, verse 11, I'm reading from the ESV. It says there, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to so abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor, a supreme, Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Some of you are wondering, Lord, what is your will? What is your will? Well, this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's take a moment, bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. We are grateful for your word. By your word, life everlasting has come into our hearts. Your word Is our daily bread. But also, your word is a sword that is able to cut between our souls and our spirits. We engage your word as such today. Help us distinguish between our own opinions and your wisdom. Help us distinguish between our soul and our spirits. Help us discern your will. We submit your word in Jesus name we pray amen amen all right well at the very beginning of this passage in verse 11 it says there and Peter this is Peter who's writing this he's writing to the diaspora of believers across um, Asia Minor okay, um, modern-day Turkey for us. And he's writing this letter that's going to be read to just the different congregations that have been displaced as the persecution has gone out and the early church started to get spread. And as the church spread, and I like the way the terminology of the scatter Sunday, as the church spread, more people came to faith in Christ. And so what was happening, though, is the, the pressure, the persecution, was getting really, really hard. And so people were wondering, maybe I should just go back to, not being a Christian, it might actually be simpler because it's, it's hard being a Christian in an environment where most people, people are looking at you like an anomaly and they're kind of interacting with you in a not so nice way. Okay, so here though, Peter, just from First Peter 1, and you've been going through this um, throughout this series, he's been reminding the believers that guess what? In Christ, you are now a citizen of his kingdom. As such, you are a foreigner wherever you go. And in verse eleven, it says, there, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, sojourner—that's a word I don't normally go about saying. It means a temporary resident. You're not gonna stay there long, okay? And uh, the word exile—you know, thinking about what's happening in Ukraine—and our church in Krakow has opened its doors to so many." Um, refugees who have been displaced because of a war. Okay? They are forced out of the homes that they're used to and are now living in an area that's not theirs, not, they're not comfortable with. Here, it's important to think of this because he's talking to the church and he's telling them, you are a sojourner, a temporary resident. You are an exile. This is not your natural home. Okay, this is so important to understand and really is the key to understanding the rest of this passage. You know, here uh, as a Filipino in the United States, there are many things that I've come to learn and enjoy. When I first moved there, there were so many things that were just foreign to me. Okay, and I was laughing and I was exchanging notes with Al and we were talking about a few things. You know, recently I was trying to think, for example, you know, in the, Filipino, in the Philippines a lot of us speak English, but we don't speak American English. All right, so so the pronunciations and all that are, you know, they're differences, okay? And so, for example, um, I live in Nashville, which is considered the South, and so I say South, right? So I say South, and then when we talk about the region, we say, in the Philippines, I'd say Southern, right? I'd say Southern, and everybody in Nashville would be looking at me like, what did you just say? I go, I said Southern. No, 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 Southern. So they go, no, I go, "No, no, no, Southern, no, 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 no. Southern. What do you do with the letters you don't pronounce? Why well, it's in there? Why, why aren't you saying it? You know, and, and I'm no, I'm apparently I'm wrong, right? So so uh, but you know, there just small things like that. There's small things like that, that remind me I'm not from here. Uh, I'm not from here. And I've had to learn to pronounce certain things a certain way so that I could be understood in that context. That's helpful for me to remember because as we read the rest of this passage, I need you to understand that he's talking to a very particular type of people. He's talking to people who relate to Jesus as their king. Therefore, every other interaction they have, they recognize, I'm not from here. I'm actually from another kingdom. Does that make sense? This is so key. So before we go any further, I have to ask you the question, are you a local or are you a foreigner? In this place, are you a local Or are you a foreigner? Why do I ask that? Because the reality is, without Christ as king over your life, the rest of the passage we're going to be reading does not make sense. Can I say that again? Without Jesus as king over your life, you are not a resident of his kingdom. Therefore, the rest of the passage we're going to read will not make sense. It will be foreign to you because you will be a local in a context where he's talking to foreigners. Are you a local? Or are you a foreigner? If you were a foreigner, meaning you say, Jesus is Lord over my life, therefore I am a member of his kingdom. I am first a citizen of his kingdom. Because I understand, this world is temporary. This is not my eternal landing place. This is not home anymore. You see, that's a big difference because I am a green card holder in the United States. I can live there for as long as I want to, but I am not a citizen. There are certain things I can't do. I can't vote. I still give them my taxes, but I can't vote. You see, the, there's a big difference. because Even as a resident alien, there are certain things I just can't do. And there are certain things I have to do to stay in the country. And what he was saying was, you're a sojourner. If you are a believer, then you are an exile. This is not home. But you're here. And you're living here. And therefore, you need to learn a few practices. You need to do a few things. Because as a resident alien, there's things you're going to interact with that are not going to be consistent to the culture of your kingdom, of your country, of your home. Wow. Think about that. So he is telling us some very controversial passages that only make sense if you're a part of that kingdom. So let's look at it. Is that okay? I, guess I already warned you. This is controversial. Okay, so from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to um, chapter 3, verse 7, he goes into this long refrain about this one idea. And we, this idea can be found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. You see, he's been telling us nonstop to live an honorable life, to live and live good deeds in such a way that the people around you who are locals, as they interact with you as a foreigner, are experiencing, hey, this guy's fun to be around. I like this guy, right? It's, it's like me. It's like me benefiting from understanding, you know, ish. My favorite thing right now is that this, I'm trying to distinguish now, just now, and now, now. I am finding the right time to use that. Okay? It's taking me a little bit of time to distinguish one from the other. Okay? But I'll probably figure it out now, now. Okay? I don't know. We'll see. All right? But I'm trying it. I'm trying it. All right? So, but here, you're looking at this passage, and this is Peter trying to explain to people. All right. There's something here. There's a cultural nuance that's unique to us as foreigners that I need you to understand. And it's found in this verse, and I'm going to break this one down, all right? Uh, the rest of it can be summarized by this passage. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. First, be subject. Be subject. In other Bible versions, it means submit submit it means to willfully place yourself under another person's authority or rule i told you this is going to be controversial submit i am free i can do whatever i want you know i live in the united states and one of the things they will fight for more than anything else is the right to choose whatever they want to do, and nobody can tell them otherwise. The whole premise of their nation is built on an idea of, I am free. I am free. And so the message of submission, in a context that celebrates individual freedom, is so complex. It's so challenging to interact with. But let me give you an analogy. My daughter is learning piano right now. I was never a musician. Okay, I, can, I can probably do, do a deer, a female deer a little bit if I need to. But um, she was learning how to use both hands to play a piece. And, you know, it's fascinating. I just watch her do it. And I go, man, my fingers won't even agree, you know, to press those buttons, that, uh, those keys at the same time. But here's an analogy. If you're a musician, or at least you understood a little bit of the music, when you look at the music sheet, you're going to see a whole lot of notes, right? Sometimes those notes overlap. Sometimes you can see them, they go this way. And then sometimes you can see several of them on one one moment, like several of these notes playing at the same time, right? So they call the notes as they move left to right, you know, the melody. But at certain parts of the melody, there's several times that you have to press different keys all at the same time. They call that the harmony, right? So the melody is the horizontal part of the song, when the the harmony is the vertical portion of the song. When Peter was telling us to conduct ourselves honorably amongst Gentiles and to um, be sojourners and to submit, he was saying to live in harmony. That we're to live in harmony. Why does that make sense to us? Because authority and submission is about a linear, it's a vertical hierarchy, right? And in music, when you play a key at the same time, like a C major... You press certain keys in harmony. There is a vertical alignment. So the idea of authority can be perceived and understood that way. So let me ask you this question. You know, if harmony is a combination of simultaneous sound and music that sounds good, what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that is dissonance. You can play three keys at the same time that are not in harmony and it'll sound bad. Right? We all know that, right? My my one daughter was trying to pretend to play piano, too, and she was pressing all the keys, and it's just like, ugh, noisy. Right? You can't just press all the keys whichever way you want if you're trying to make beautiful music. You're going to have to know which keys are the right keys that work well together. And he was making a point. He said, You know, you're a foreigner, but you live amongst locals. Are you creating dissonance, or are you creating harmony? See, he was saying that harmonious music gives us a sense of peace, serenity. Dissonant music creates tension and actually creates anxiety. And he was saying, be subject. Be subject. Be subject to what? Well, here we go. Let's keep moving. To every human institution. And I'm not going to be able to dig into every single one of this. It is rich, and it is complex, and you'll need to read your Bible for yourself to really get into it, to understand. But what we see here is that the early Christians were being persecuted for their faith, yet Peter was telling them to subject themselves to that very same institution. And I need us to understand what we're talking about here, okay? So, um, look at this, of so verse 13 and verse 17. It says there, be subject, and then he goes to every human institution. And then he gives an example of what kind of institution. In this case, he says, the emperor, the governor, honor the emperor. You realize the emperor he was referring to at the time was Nero, History records him to be one of the most notorious emperors of the Roman Empire at the time, where he would light Christians on the street as light posts to light the night. And here you see Peter telling the church to honor the emperor. You know, I realized something about the word submit. If you like the person, it doesn't feel like submitting. It feels a whole like of submitting when you don't like the person. Is that true? And here we hear, honor the emperor. Oh, man. This is tough. So here's an example of the institutions. Right? The first one that we see is civil government. Now, Carlos, you don't understand. You're a foreigner here. You're talking about our government. Ah, I didn't vote for the person that's running the place right now. Huh. Like I mentioned, this was being r- written and read to people who the Roman emperor, they had no choice over who that emperor was. You know, I think of some of the churches that we have um, around the world, many of them in nations that where it is actually illegal to profess Christ as Lord. One of them is a really good friend of mine. I won't mention the, the nation that they're from. Um, but over the last few years, the persecution because the government has gotten extremely controlling. They have locked down every opportunity for the church to continue to pro- progress. Therefore, they, the church had to go underground. I pray for my friend regularly. We had a chance to talk whenever we get the chance. They, so many times he can't even log on online because they try to even close off the internet from access outside the world. But in the midst of the last few years, every time what they do is, it's an underground church, but they build small facilities that would be like businesses and the church would come to gather in that place. And then after they finally built it, guess what? The the religious police would come and they'd close it down. They'd close it down and all of a sudden, all the money that was spent to build this facility is gone. In the midst of it, the church has grown. And recently, I got a text from him and he said, just in the last year, there have been five new church plants. And he tells me, Praise God. In the midst of the persecution, God is spreading the church. And where we, we would probably comfortably gather in one place, because of the persecution we've had to spread, and because we've had to spread, the gospel has spread, and more people have come to faith. And what's been interesting, as he tells me stories, because they're actually assigned religious police, and they're religious police who you know, attend the underground church and sit in. And then they, it's like the WhatsApp group that, we, that you guys have here. They join the WhatsApp group. And these are secret police assigned to watch them who listen to the sermon and recently got saved. And so what would happen is he'd text, the, this, the secret police would text the pastor and say, you're about to get raided. So move. So how do you know? In a situation like that, it is hard to submit. Imagine being in a nation where you can't lift up your voice to praise, where it's illegal to carry your Bible around. Apply this passage there. And then you go, oh, ours is a lot simpler, huh? Next example. Oh, before that, look at this, verse 17. Can we just look at this? At the very end of this passage where he tells us to honor civil government, he says, honor everyone. So blanket, everyone. Everybody's worthy of honor. Do you believe that? The person beside you is worthy of honor. Okay? But then he says this, and I was looking at this, I go, this is kind of random. Why is this here in the center of all of this? Love the brotherhood. Can I just say a personal comment? Over the last few years, I have watched... Politics, the pandemic, and many other things bring so much division in the church. Who did you vote for? Oh, we can't go to the same church anymore. In this whole idea of submitting to institutions, he reminds us how important it is to love the brotherhood. Because sometimes we can get so immersed in our political views, in our perspectives on whether we should mass or not mass, or vaccine or not vaccine, and all of that, that we are willing to split the body of Christ up. We start acting like locals. We we still okay. I'm a resident alien, so if this sounds weird, you can just dismiss me. Verse 18, the next institution. You thought the first one was tough. Servants, be subject to your masters. Another version, slaves. The S word. With all respect. Now, look, he qualifies. Not just the good ones. also the unjust ones. You see, in this context, the idea of slavery and the idea of servitude was very different from what modern history would would, um, have. there were really just two kinds of citizens. You were either a free person, a member of the Roman Empire, or you were under servitude and somebody was your master. And you work your way to economic prosperity, hopefully to your own freedom. That was just normal. Majority of the church that Peter was writing to were probably slaves. And here he's telling us, how do you live as a Christian slave to an unjust, non-believing master? Be subject to them. Respect them. Serve them. Even if they're unjust. Uh, I don't know, this is... The Bible we love is telling us things we don't like to hear, huh? <laughs> Practically, that may not be an immediate application, but I think of that and I think of employment, because that's what it was like. You come under servitude because you're trying to find economic prosperity, or at the very least provide for your family. And so I think of the idea of employment, and what I find out is, if I think of that in modern terms, it's as if we're to honor these institutions, not just... Not just the good bosses. Why? God seems to be doing something in the midst of all of this exercise, right? Now, let me go ahead and say this is not a blanket statement because we are to submit to authorities under submission to our ultimate King, Jesus, right? Remember this, okay? We are following God's melody and we're to live in harmony to that melody. Once in a while, The institutions around us ask us to do something that will be dissonant to God's melody. When times like that occur, you don't submit because you continue to submit to God. It's like Peter Peter saying way back, I would rather obey God than man. It's in a situation where what the government or what the boss is telling them to do breaks one of God's laws. But in situations where that's not there, submit. Wow. Okay, next one. One more. This one comes pretty close to home. Three institutional examples. Civil government, employment. Are you ready for the last one? This one hits home. Marriage. In the verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, he writes and he says, Wives... Submit to your husband, even if they do not obey the Word. What he's referring to here, again, he's writing to believers living in an unbelieving context. What's most probably happening here, it's a Roman woman married to a man who is not a believer, who for some reason this Roman woman had come to faith. And at that time, women had no rights. They were treated like property basically. And so whatever the patriarch wanted, the patriarch got. And here, Peter's writing them and saying, submit to your non-believing husband. Don't leave him. Submit to him in the hopes that your good conduct would open his heart to the message of the gospel. In the same way, in verse 7, you know, it's not all about the wives. Husbands, Believing husbands who have an unbelieving wife. He tells them, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then he says, show her honor. Now, let me go ahead and just say this, because this is revolutionary at the day. Here, Peter was elevating the position of the woman as an equal to a perspective of a culture at a time where the men would never have perceived that. Why would I relate with her in an understanding way? I'm in charge. And here, it's a completely overturning of the cultural paradigm. Because remember, as a believer, we're foreigners now. And he's lifting up the position of the woman, even if she's an unbelieving woman. Show her honor. It's Just look at that. Like Look at these three. Submit to civil government. Submit to employment? Just unjust non-believers? Submit to an unbeliever spouse? Peter is asking us for a tough thing here, huh? Man, why would you do this? Gets us to the third thought. And this is the key thought here. We do it for the Lord's sake. If it weren't for the Lord's sake I would not do this. Nothing in me would enjoy submitting to someone I know is unjust, someone I do not respect, someone whose values are not like mine. Yeah? Am I being am I is that only me? It's a little relatable because this is tough. In verse, you know, just looking at the verse I'm just go through this real quick but First, verse 13 to verse 17, it says there, for the Lord's sake, subject to every human, human institution for the Lord's sake. Why? It's the will of God that we do good in these contexts. Then he says, remember, in Christ you're free, so therefore live as people who are free, but in your freedom submit yourself and be like a servant in your context. And then he says, you're going to honor the emperor. But why can you honor the emperor? Because ultimately you fear and revere God. Again and again and again, he's saying, the reason you submit is because God is your king. And that's what ended up happening in the early church. You know, the idea of, the title for this message is, A Humble Community. And the early church actually practiced this in the Roman world. And the Romans were confused. How can all of these slaves, how can all of these people live in such a way that when things are going wrong, they go out of their way to serve and take care and to be sacrificially generous? It was flabbergasting. They they were so confused by what was going on. How can these people act this way in an environment that is so aggressively against them? And yet it was so beautiful to watch. The church was taking in orphans. The church was serving those in need. There was no need among them because they gave generously to each other. It was so beautiful to see. That's how the gospel ended up becoming like yeast in the Roman Empire until it turned the Roman Empire upside down. The Romans, despite all the persecution, could not quench the church because the church continued to act in submission to the context and served. And what ended up happening was, eventually the emperor himself ended up coming to Christ. Powerful. What about today? Do Christians regularly submit to every human institution for the Lord's sake? Let's be honest, not automatically. We are supposed to be a humble community in a world that's aggressively against us. Remember, submission is the act of accepting or yielding to superior force. But really, let me propose something. The reason why this is hard to do is because none of us like to submit to unjust things. That's just fact. So I think this is hard to do just to try to be humble unless, and I'm going to edit this, you are humbled. I Submit to us that this only makes sense if you have been conquered by Jesus as Lord and you give up your kingdom for His and you realize that you have been king in your own life And the only way for you to willingly submit to people that you don't think you need to submit to is because you've already bowed your knee to someone else. Think about who's writing this. Peter. The same Peter who rebuked Jesus for telling him that he was going to die. The same Peter who grabbed the sword when the Romans were going to try to capture Jesus. And you know, this is not a soldier, but he's in front of a legion here, and he's going, I'm going to protect my Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the political leader. I believe in him. And he goes out of his way to try to stop them, right? And then he watches as Jesus allows himself to be captured. This is the Peter who said, I will never deny you. And then he denies him three times. This is that Peter. He was humbled. All of a sudden, all the things he thought he could do for God, he realized, I cannot do for God. God does for me. And that's where I think this whole thing lies. Going to First Peter, as he was telling the servants to submit, he's, he goes into this automatic just thing. He starts to explain himself, and he says in verse 21, Note this, for to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving, you as an ex- leaving us an example so that we might follow in Christ's footsteps. What does he mean? Verse 22, he committed no sin. Jesus was sinless. Neither was deceit found in him. He was reviled, but he did not revile them in return. He suffered, but yet he did not threaten. He continued to entrust himself to those, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. You see, by his wounds, we are healed. How many of you have been healed and set free by the wounds of Jesus Christ on the cross? It's only when you are a foreigner does this passage actually make sense. Because you realize, I'm not from this kingdom, am I? We were once straying like sheep, but we have now come to the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. Let me explain to you this way. When you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, the Bible says, he who has been forgiven of much loves much. When you understand the extent and the gravity of how much you've been saved, all of a sudden, everything Christ wants from you, you're willing to give. You've been humbled. And I want to propose to you today, I'm not asking you to submit to any of these institutions or any other institutions unless you... Call Jesus Lord. And you've been humbled by the gospel. You know that the gospel is very humbling? You know why? Because it means that none of us could save ourselves, that it required God intervening to save you. And then he gives it as a free gift. It was not free to him. It cost him everything. And when you realize how big a debt you owed, And the price God had to pay to pay off your debt, you will act very differently. If I paid off a 50 rand debt, you say, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know, you do that. But then if it were a 10 billion rand, that you knew would weigh over you for the rest of your life and would pass down to your generations after you because you have no way to figure out how you're going to do that. And then my friend Pierre comes to me and says, Carlos, don't worry, I paid that debt for you. What, what kind of relationship would I have with Pierre? Pierre, what do you need? I will do anything. You, gave, you, you freed me from something I had no ability in myself to free myself from. You see, that's the group he's writing to to a people who have been humbled by the gospel. And that's why this makes sense. And here's some last thoughts. I'm going to look at it from a, I'm a calm person, so I'm kind of visual. But if you look at the slides, I'm going to show you what I mean. When it comes to relating to institutions and to other people, civil government, family, think of it this way. There's us and there's them. Depending on how you see yourself, you will relate to them a certain way. In one way, you can see us as greater than them. And you look down on non-believers, on locals, as, "Ah, look at them acting that way. And we become pharisaical, self-righteous believers who look at the world in disdain for their sinfulness. (sighs) Or we could see us as lesser than them, And it creates a false humility or a low self-esteem. We put ourselves down all the way, but we then we don't act as free people, freed by Christ. The ideal of the world is us plus them. That creates what we call unity. There's a big deal about diversity, equality, inclusion right now. This is the ideal. Every married person thinks We're one now, therefore unity. Um, Therefore, I give, you give, it'll all work out. You give 50%, I give 50%, we'll hit 100% and it'll all work out. Any person who's ever attempted a relationship knows that does not work because there's no exact 50%. And when you feel you've given your share and then the other has it, you stop because you're waiting for the fairness to come into play. Yeah? This is the problem we have in society, because we're waiting for their part to come into play before we do any more. And I propose a humble community has a very different view. It's this view. We are just like all of them. That apart from the cross, would be no different. And that when I see a person I may not like, who has the values very different from mine, I remember how I was just like them. And apart from what Jesus has done for me, I would be where they are. And yet, He changed me. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, Despite myself, He saves me. And all of a sudden, I have something I never earned. I have something I never deserved. And when I relate with them, I don't hold it over them because I never earned it myself. And so when I relate with them, I remember I was them. And the only difference Is Christ now in me. And that's why I can submit. Because if I submit and I give of the overflowing grace of God, God has a chance to introduce himself through my example of his sacrifice to them. Hopefully that they would encounter the same king I've met. Amen? May we be a humbled community. May we be people who know we're not from here. Not anymore. And may we act in a way that changes the world. Not because we are strong, but really because in Christ, we are, who are weak become strong strong enough to bend our knee and carry broken people through just like our Lord carries us. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray, Lord. Your word, so many nice promises, prosperity, your purpose in life. And then there's this, the word to submit so that the watching world around us, gets a little bit of a view of the kind of king you are. May we be good ambassadors of your kingdom. If that means in order for me to be a better ambassador to my loved ones, to my family, to my boss, to my office workers, to the community that I'm in, if it means in order for me to represent you better, I need to submit myself to things I probably would not do on my own. Help me to do that. I bend my knee to you. And may I live in harmony, even amongst the locals, so they may get that, so that they may get to know you. My king my Lord, my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Carlos, you are so super cool. (laughs) You're so super cool. Uh, FYI, you can come here. We love foreigners in South Africa. I want to bless you with a few things that I picked up from his sermon for the week. This week, may God help us to distinguish between our own opinions and his wisdom. May God help us to remember that we are sojourners and that we're not locals. May God help us to live in harmony and not in dissonance. May God help us to be subject to civil government, to our employers, and to our marriages. May God help us to remember that we are indeed a humbled community and that if it wasn't for the cross, we are just like everybody else. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday and see you next week at church. Amen.